the first thing that we come to in Christianity is faith. But after we have that faith, what do we do next? Or better yet, what must we do to be saved? There's no more important questions that can be asked. I did all that not even looking at the camera. The first step in Christianity is faith. But once we have that faith, what do we do next? Or better yet, what must we do to be saved? There's no more important question that we can ask in our faith than this. And the sad truth is that while the Bible only offers one answer to this, the modern church seems to offer many. My name is Justin Lee. This is the More God, Less Me podcast. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about the plan of salvation. I want to talk about what does the Bible say we must do in order to be saved. Because a lot of the answers that we hear to that question today are not founded in biblical truth. They hold no truth. They aren't what the Bible actually says. And so today, let's look at what the Bible says. Let's open up the Bible and begin to go through it and find what did God actually lay out as the biblical plan of salvation. There's really no more important subject that we can talk about in the faith than this, because really, our faith starts at salvation. In fact, faith is the first step, as I mentioned, in the plan of salvation, as we will see later in this podcast. Faith is a required part of the plan of salvation, and if you're really unwilling to follow the plan of salvation, then do you really have faith in the God who gave us that plan of salvation? That's a question that you should really ask yourself throughout this podcast, and that's something that we'll key back into, is that If we have faith in God, then we should have the faith to obey whatever that is that God tells us to do. And a big part of that is the plan of salvation. But what we see today is so many lacking that kind of faith. And we also have to remember that at the end, salvation is also reliant on our faith. As only those who have truly walked through the plan of salvation will be granted entrance into heaven when their journey in this life is complete. If we get this wrong, we can completely miss the mark. We can completely miss what God had for us. If we argue points of salvation, we can miss where God wants us to be. So we need to ensure that we know what it takes to be saved. And not that we know what we think it takes to be saved, but we need to ensure that we know exactly what the Bible says we must do in order to be saved. And the simple truth is that many today simply don't know what that is. And that's because a lot of churches have shifted from biblical truth to instead focus on personal truth, my truth. They've focused on what they believe is necessary or feel is right. They're less concerned with what the Bible actually says and more concerned with simply pleasing people and pleasing their flesh, to be perfectly honest with you, and talking about, well, you just should do what makes sense to you. But that's not really how our faith in God works. God handed us the Bible. He handed us exactly what we need to know in order to be saved, exactly what we need in order to walk through this life and gain the salvation that he promises. Not that we work for salvation, and we'll get to that in a little while, but there are things that we should do in obedience to God's word. And what we have to understand is that we can't trust in ourselves to decide what's right and what's wrong. As the Bible says, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. They will lead us down a wrong path. If we're left to our own things, the result will be sin. But if we continue to trust in God and to do what God has called us to do and follow his word above our own desires, that's how we find righteousness. Our hearts are always going to lead us astray, and our minds are no better because they've been corrupted by the sins of this world. And that's an important thing to understand and to take note of, is that our minds have been corrupted, that we have a sinful mind, we have a flesh that we must fight against. And when we follow our own desires, we're only following the desires of our flesh and what sin has produced in our minds. And while the concept of this, all these things that we've talked about, my truth and what feels right to you and those things, while they've heavily infiltrated many churches and turned people away from solid biblical truth, there's also a lot of tradition that does the very same thing, where traditions that started thousands of years ago are carried as though they're biblically based, when in reality, those traditions were just as fabricated as many beliefs are fabricated today. 
many churches continue to hold and push forward traditions of men as the ordinances of God. And that's something that we see when Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and he says that they trusted in the traditions of men, things that were distracting, things that were leading them further away from what God had intended, and they treated those things as ordinances from God, but they didn't put as much emphasis on what God had actually said. And through tradition, that's what we see in a lot of different church circles today. They value tradition over what the Word of God itself says. And the first thing that we should always look to when anybody teaches us anything in the Bible is where is it in the Bible? That's what we should be concerned with. We shouldn't be concerned with, well, well, they've been doing this for a thousand years, so it must be right. You can do something for a thousand years and it not be right. The Jews did that for a very long time and continue to do that today having missed who Jesus really was. That doesn't make them right because they've done something. Muslims have been around for quite a long time, but that doesn't make them right just because they've been doing it for a long time. And the same thing is true in Christianity. Just because a church has practiced certain things for a long time doesn't make it right. It has to come directly from the Word of God for us to know it's true. We need to be like the Berean church. The Berean church, Paul came to them, and he brought them the gospel message. He was teaching them about Jesus, and they didn't just take his word for it because he, they knew that other people were believing his message. No, they went back and began to study and began to look at the scripture to see if what he said was true, and that's what we should do with something especially as important as the issue of salvation, which is exactly what we're going to do today. I think it's also important to realize that there's a lot of people today that say the early church fathers, and I put that in quotes in my notes, and I also put it in air quotes if you're watching the video version of this podcast, because these figures of history all lived several hundred years after the church was established on the day of Pentecost and after all the apostles had already died. And so that doesn't mean a whole lot to me when they say early church fathers and like, well, the early church fathers believed this. Well, we should be more concerned with what did the first church do? Let's get past early church and turn back to first church, the people who lived with Jesus, the people who were disciples of Jesus, and the people who were discipled by those people. Let's look at the first and second generation of Christians when we're going to look at this, not people who lived some 400 years after the church had already been established. If we're going to find what we should practice, we should look at the people who were first practicing it, the first people to be taught by Jesus and by those who had been taught by Jesus. That's the best reference point that we have. We don't need to look to outside sources from the Bible to figure out how we are saved or how salvation works or for ways to explain away tough scriptures. We simply need to look at the Bible and accept the word that God has given us. And the Bible's clear to warn us that anyone who brings a message that differs from what was first brought by the apostles is false. We can see this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And what Paul is referencing here is if somebody brings you something in the faith that doesn't align with Scripture, don't trust it. That person should be accursed. That person should be on the outside. We shouldn't be taking their word as truth. We should be taking the Bible and what was first brought to truth. And Paul goes as far to say that even if, even if an apostle came and said, you know what, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do this. Don't do it. Because Paul realized how easy it is for people to be deceived by sin and deceived by the enemy to lead others astray, something that the Bible also warns heavily against. But then Paul goes that other step further and said, even if an angel, even if it seems like an angel came and brought you a message that differs from what we believe and what we do, don't believe that. Don't follow it. Don't do it. Trust in the original message. And that's what we still need to be doing as the church today. And we have Bibles for that very reason, so that we can trust in the original message that God gave us. We don't have to worry about a counterfeit or anything like that. Well, we can trust in the original, but we have to turn to the Bible and actually see what it says in order for us to have that kind of trust in it. Our faith should be firmly founded in Scripture, not in our personal beliefs or the personal beliefs of others. It shouldn't be based on preference. It shouldn't be based on even our understanding. Our lack of understanding doesn't really affect the way that we practice our faith. We shouldn't say, oh, well, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to do that. That's really not the way this works. And that's kind of the problem, you see, is like a lot of people today want to question the need for baptism because they don't understand 
why they need to go down in water. Well, why do I need to take a bath for it, church? Why do I need to do that? Why do I need to do this? A lot of people just want to not do things in the faith and claim that they have faith in God, but say, oh, I don't understand that, so I'm not going to do that. And that's not a good excuse. That's not a good reason to not do things in the Bible. I understand that there's things that are tough and that we can't understand them, but the truth of the matter is is that if we want to understand them, it's very easy to understand things like baptism. The Bible teaches us why baptism is important, what baptism represents, and all we have to do is open our Bibles and study it. And even then, if it doesn't make sense, God says to ask for wisdom, and he will supply it generously. God's going to give you the wisdom you need to understand his word, but you have to be willing to seek it out. And a lot of people just claim that, oh, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to do that, without even ever trying to understand it. And so if that's you, definitely don't just write the things off that we're going to talk about today to say, oh, well, I don't understand, you know, why I have to be baptized, why I have to repent, why I have to have faith. I don't understand why I have to do those things, so I'm just not going to do them, but I'm still going to believe I'm going to be saved. That's not the way this is going to work. If you want to be saved, then you need to go to the one who's offering you salvation and ask, what do you want me to do? And that's exactly the question that we're here to ask. But I have to be honest, if you're claiming that something's not important, if you can say you determine, if you say like, oh, I'm just going to determine what's right and what's going to get me salvation, how can you do that when you can't save yourself? If you can't save yourself, how can you determine what can and won't have an effect on your salvation? Maybe I'm naive. Maybe, maybe I'm ignorant. But it seems to me that if we want to be saved, we should be willing to do whatever the only one with the power to save us says, regardless of what we may personally think or understand. We should just be willing to say, you're willing to offer me the salvation, I will accept that salvation. And a way to look at this is if you were trapped somewhere, and they said, hey, I need you to do this. Unless you physically couldn't do it, aren't you going to do whatever it takes for the person who's trying to rescue you to pull you out of that trap? I think we all would. So why is it so hard in the spiritual? Why is it so hard for us to just accept that God's trying to rescue us from something, that he's trying to save us from a trap, that he's trying to release us from where we're at? Why is it hard for us to accept that, but we wouldn't accept that same kind of help in other situations? That's the kind of thing that we need to think about in a subject such as this. In my opinion, we should be thankful that God's made it as easy as he has. I mean, really, he's laid it out in the scripture. We have such an easy way of looking at the Bible, all we have to do is really turn to one verse, as we're about to see, and that lays out the full plan of salvation for us right there, all in one go. We don't have to search for this, that, or the other, but we can look to one passage of Scripture and know everything we need to know about what it takes to be saved. That's kind of a blessing. He's blessed us by laying out the full biblical plan of salvation in simple, easy-to-understand terms. Now, before we go to that passage, we need to understand what led a group of people to ask, what must we do to be saved? Because that's really what we're going to look at, is God's blessed us with that kind of opportunity. There was a group of people who received the word of God, received the gospel message, and the first thing that they said was, well, what must, or what shall we do? That's a great question. That's what we should all be asking whenever we come to faith, whenever we come to salvation. And so we need to set the scene. We need to look back at that. And all that took place on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had just fallen in the upper room. And Acts chapter 2 records that this drew quite a crowd because of the things that were going on. A large crowd of onlookers came to this upper room area to see what was going on in it. And so we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We read, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came up from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, Obviously, these events, all these things that were taking place, amazed the people who gathered there to watch. And it wasn't long before they began to speculate, what's the cause? And I think that's something that we would all do. If we stood there next to somebody, be like, why are they, why are they doing this? Like, what, what is causing them to do this? And so, eventually, some people went as far to claim that these men and women that were gathered in the upper room must be drunk. 
That's just the first thing that they went to. And that was what caused the Apostle Peter to stand up that day and address the crowd to clearly explain everything that they were witnessing taking place. So starting in verse 14, we read, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That's a pretty impressive word. Peter was able to explain, looking back in the Bible, what God had promised would take place, and that was the infilling of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What those people were witnessing was the um, fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's exactly what Joel said would happen. And Peter then begins to preach his first sermon and point to the lordship of Jesus. He begins to tell them everything that Jesus did again, reminding them of these things and showing how Jesus was the Messiah. And then he finishes it in verse 36 by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord, that's speaking of Jesus, and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's a pretty tough message. Peter makes a point to say, look, this is who Jesus is. This is what God made him. This is what God did. And you crucified him. You caused the Messiah to be crucified. That's a pretty direct hit and a direct message. And what that did was hit those people in the heart. It hit them right where they were. And in verse 37, we read, Now, when they heard this, that's the crowd, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The people were touched by the words that Peter boldly spoke to them in the Spirit. His words had inspired faith in their hearts and caused them to ask, What must we do next? That's what they mean when they said, Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? We believe that this is true. We believe the message that you've just brought us. But what do we do? We do. And the amazing thing is that Peter doesn't waste any time. He doesn't ask for suggestions from the other apostles who were standing with him. He doesn't sit there and culminate and think for a very long time on what am I going to say? How do I give an answer to such a difficult and tough question? But he simply gives them in the very next verse a direct answer to their direct question. And so in verse 37, they ask, what shall we do? And in Verse 38, Peter responds by saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's it. Right there. That's the biblical plan of salvation. It's really that simple. What Peter lays out right there is that whole plan of salvation. A humble question from the crowd brought a simple response from the Apostle Peter. And in that response, we are given the four components of salvation. Faith, repentance, baptism, baptism, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. These four things are essential parts of salvation. I know that that sentence alone is going to throw a lot of people off. And it's going to cause you to ask, well, how do you know that that's an, uh, a necessary part of salvation? How can you be sure that these things are required. How do you know that those specific things are what you must do in order to be saved? That's a great question. And that's a question that you should be asking. That's the kind of things that we should be seeking after. Even when somebody brings us a simple message, we should say, how do you know that to be true? And so we know that to be true for a few different reasons, to be honest. We know that faith, repentance, and baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, are essential for salvation because of the context of the verse. I mean, if we just start there, Like I said, Peter was asked a direct question, and he gave a direct answer. He didn't say, well, you know, it'd be a good idea if you were baptized. He didn't say, oh, well, maybe, 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 maybe repenting is what we should do. He didn't say anything like that. He didn't give many options. What Peter gave was a command. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. That's a pretty direct statement. That doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room of like, well, maybe I don't have to do those things. No, Peter, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, do these 
things. Now, obviously, they already had faith. To ask the question showed the faith they had in God, but their faith was also proven in their willingness to do what Peter had called them to do. And if these things were optional, then Peter would have said that they were optional. He would have made that much clear, but he didn't. Instead, he asked, he was asked, what do we do? And he gave a direct answer, and as a result of that direct answer, the Bible records that 3,000 people did just that that day. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And so that's the culmination of their faith. Faith started. They had the faith to ask, what shall we do? If they didn't have faith in God, if they didn't believe what Peter said was true, then they wouldn't have asked that question. Peter would have finished his message, he would have finished preaching, and they'd have just walked out the door like a lot of people do in church right now. There's no response in the church, and that's because you don't really believe a whole lot of what's going on in the church. If you believe the message, you'll respond to the message. And so Peter gave them a message. They responded in faith and asked, what shall we do? And when Peter gave them that, they responded in faith again and did just what Peter said they needed to do in order to be saved. That's pretty impressive. That alone is a pretty good fact when you really think about how direct those answers were. Because this was a man who lived with Jesus. If it was any other message, he would have provided that message. If there was any other way, he would have told them, every way to be saved, but all he gave them was the one option, repent and be baptized. That was all that, and and receive the Holy Ghost. That was it. That's all that he gave them. And it's interesting, too, because Peter makes it clear after giving this plan of salvation that that wasn't just something for these specific people at this specific time. I know that's an argument that a lot of people want to throw around. Well, that message was for a specific people at a specific set of times, but not this one. We, we, We don't need to argue that because Peter says in chapter to verse 39, so the very, in 38, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then the next verse, verse 39, he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone who the Lord God calls to himself. So every believer, the plan of salvation is for them. Every believer is supposed to repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Ghost. That's what God has in store for every person to come to the faith. Until the end of time, that's what we are expected to do. Now, another thing is that Peter, who the Bible says was given the keys to heaven by Jesus, delivered the plan of salvation on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus had said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. Seems to me like these sound like the keys to the kingdom of God that Jesus gave him to deliver to the people. But not only that, Peter's message was also confirmed by the other 11 apostles who stood with him. If he had said anything untrue or unnecessary or that wasn't important, then it would stand to reason that one of the other apostles would have stood up and corrected him and said, whoa, 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 Peter, that's not what we should be doing. But they didn't do that. Instead, they just stood with him in agreement. And I imagine with 3,000 people, they were among those helping baptize the others. If we baptize in 3,000 people, In one day, that's going to take a lot of people. Peter couldn't have done that on his own. So we can understand that those gathered in the upper room and the other 11 apostles all agreed with the message that Peter delivered. When they said, what shall we do? They were like, yep, that's what we shall do. That's what we all have done and what we all need to do. That's how we can know that these things are true. We can trust that by the testimony of the other apostles, by not trying to correct Peter, that this message is true. They stood with him, and that confirms the plan of salvation. And not only that, but we know that they taught this plan of salvation because as we look through the book of Acts, we continually see new believers brought through each step of the plan of salvation. This is a normal occurrence, a normal thing that continues to take place all throughout the book of Acts. And even really, as you begin to study through the epistles, you see references made to faith, you see references made to repentance, you see references made to baptism, and you see references made to the need for the Holy Ghost. Now, they're teaching churches that had already gone through it. By the time you were considered church, by the time they were writing to different leaders of the church, these people would have been through the plan of salvation, and apparently nobody was struggling with that because the apostles didn't see it fit to correct those issues in their letters. And so, It's pretty easy to believe that because they weren't correcting people, they were simply walking through the plan of salvation, especially since we're taught in their letters about the four components of the plan of salvation. Now, 
what we also see in the Bible, like I was saying earlier, is that the apostles would take people through this, or other believers were taking people through the plan of salvation. And Philip the evangelist, during his first journey, does just that. We have it in Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 12. It says, But when they believed, he had went to the Samaritans. I'm sorry, I want to give you a little more detail, I guess. But he had gone, he, there was persecution going on, and so Philip had left. He had gone to the land of Samaria, and then he was just preaching the gospel. And what we see in him preaching the gospel is once those people accepted the word, they followed through and were baptized and received the Holy Ghost. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So right there we see the plan of salvation. Philip brought the word, the people responded in faith and repentance, they were baptized in Jesus' name, and then they came and had laid hands on them, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's a confirmation of the, the plan of salvation. If these things were not necessary, if they did not believe that this is what you must do to be saved, then they wouldn't have been doing it. They wouldn't have been pushing that message forward. And Philip does the same thing again. Because after this, God calls him away and leads him in the Spirit to an uh, Ethiopian eunuch who is riding in a chariot and reading the book of Isaiah. And as they're going along, and he, and he gets into the chariot with the man, and as they're going along and they're teaching him and he's showing him things in the Word, soon, it's not long, before that Ethiopian says, hey, here's some water. What's stopping me from being baptized? Well, apparently, in that short time together, Philip had brought in the plan of salvation. Because how would this man have known his need to be baptized unless Philip was teaching the need to be baptized? He valued baptism. He saw baptism as an important part of salvation. And everywhere that he went to preach the gospel, he made sure to point people to baptism. And even by starting in the Old Testament, without any New Testament scriptures to rely on, Philip was able to preach the plan of salvation and lead a man to his need to be baptized. That's pretty interesting to think about. And the fact that we can do that, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly because we're already running out of time for this episode of the podcast, but the reason that Philip could do that is because there are tons of pictures of the New Testament plan of salvation in the Old Testament. And those things are even referenced by Peter and by Paul. At different moments, they both reference the fact that, that there are signs of baptism that we can see in the Old Testament. We can see what God had planned for his people in the Old Testament, pointing to what was going to happen in the New Testament, the plan of salvation that we now have to follow. But let's look at a few chapters later in the book of Acts, where Peter went to the home of a man named Cornelius. And what's interesting about this account is that the Bible in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 2 says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave charity generously to the poor and prayed continually to God. That's an interesting passage because it says that this man Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household and prayed continually to God. Now, if you surveyed a bunch of people on the street or even a bunch of people from churches and you said, hey, is, if I told you about this man who was devout to God and that he prayed to God all the time, he was charitable, he did good things for people, he had a great name where he was from, would you think that that man's saved? And they'd be like, yeah, that, that sounds like a guy who's saved. And it would be easy to believe that. When we read that verse, we sound like, that sounds like a Christian. That sounds like just a good dude who's been saved, who knows God. But God didn't see that as enough. God didn't see that as enough to offer this person salvation. And what we see in the Bible is that Peter is sent to Cornelius to take him the gospel message and the rest of the plan of salvation. And in that account, we see a group of people walk through the plan of salvation. They had faith and repentance. If he's praying, if he's devout to God, then we can believe that obviously he has faith, and we can believe that he's repenting for the things that he knows he's done wrong. 
but still something was missing. And God provided that through Peter. He sent Peter to him specifically to bring them the message of Jesus and to lead him through the plan of salvation. We know that because Peter didn't even finish preaching before the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his whole family. And it was when the Holy Spirit fell that Peter and the other disciples realized that even Gentiles could receive salvation from God. This sign of the Holy Spirit falling in that moment was a sign to them that, oh, salvation is not for the Jews only. Well, there's a few things that we can take off of that. One, praise God for the plan of salvation and for the Gentiles, because I know that I'm one of them, being able to receive salvation. This is a pinnacle point in our faith, because up until this point, they still only believed that like people from Jewish lineages could be saved. But God showed through Cornelius and his family that even the Gentiles could be saved. But the other half of that that's interesting is that the reason that the Jews knew that others could receive salvation is because something that only God could provide from the plan of salvation was given to these people even before they were baptized. Because we can have faith and we can have repentance, but only God can provide the Holy Spirit. And they realized that that was something that only God did and that God saw as an important, essential part of salvation. And when God provided that, the, the Jewish people were able to see that even Gentiles could be saved. That's an amazing thing that God did. And that shows us again how important the plan of salvation is. Because God, not, not Peter, Peter didn't think, well, I should tell these people about salvation. Peter wouldn't have gone to the Gentiles if God hadn't given him visions and dreams and had sent Cornelius or had Cornelius send men to find Peter. Peter wouldn't have gone to the Gentiles on his own accord because Jewish people weren't supposed to go and eat and be under the roof of Gentiles. But God deemed it necessary, and God sent Peter, and that shows our need for the plan of salvation. If the plan of salvation wasn't needed, wouldn't we think that Cornelius would be saved? He knew who God was, he believed in God, he prayed to God, and he tried to live a righteous life. If that's all it took to be saved, Cornelius wouldn't have needed to meet Peter. That whole interaction, that whole thing wouldn't have needed to take place. But God said it must. And what we have to realize is God is still saying the same thing to us today. God is saying that he wants us to follow the plan of salvation. That's why it's in the Bible. The Bible is the inspired word of God. If we believe that every word of the Bible is the inspired word of God, then we should trust and believe every word that it says. And so where we read, you, or where it reads, what shall we do? Be baptized. Okay, well, it looks like I should be baptized. Oh, well, I need to repent and I need to get the Holy Ghost. Wow, this is exactly what I need to be doing because it was given by God. God still sees this to be necessary. If God wanted Cornelius and his family to experience the plan of salvation enough to send Peter to him, don't we think that God still wants us to experience that same plan of salvation today? And maybe, and I'm just throwing this out here, but maybe this podcast is God sending that message to you right now. Maybe God's saying to you, this is the plan I have for you. I need you to follow the plan of salvation. Maybe that's why you found this. I'm not going to lie to you guys. We don't have a lot of followers or a lot of listeners. And so if you're listening to this and you're wanting to argue against points right now, well, for one, please hold off because I'm going to get to some of those either in this episode or in the next episode of the podcast. But at the same time, take a minute. Why did you get here? How did you get here? How did you find this podcast? What caused you to want to listen to this podcast? And maybe is it the fact that God wants you to be exposed to this essential truth from his word? I'm not bringing you things that aren't from the Bible itself. But what we have here is a message directly from God's word. And so that's just something to consider and to think about. Maybe God is wanting to reach you with his biblical plan of salvation. That's just something to think about. But anyways, the Apostle Paul also carried forth the torch of the plan of salvation. And that's an interesting thing to think about because the Apostle Paul wasn't there. Well, I'm not going to say he wasn't completely there. Like, I don't know where the Apostle Paul was on the day of Pentecost, but he wasn't a member of the church yet, right? He was still in the, the process of getting ready to persecute the church. He was the one that was going to be persecuting Christians. He was the one holding the coat when Stephen was stoned for preaching the gospel message. So Paul hadn't come to the faith yet whenever all these things were taking place. On the day of Pentecost, Paul wasn't a part of the church. He wasn't 
a part of what Peter was doing, he would not have stood in agreement with what Peter taught. He wouldn't even have said that Jesus was the Messiah at that time in his life. But he did later come to faith, as we know, and he did great things for God in service to God and for furthering the gospel message. And though some may try to say like, oh, well, well, you can see in Paul's writing that the only thing that you must do is have faith. That's not really the case. And one way that people try to use that is by looking at the Philippian jailer. They would say, oh, well, Paul said that you only have to have faith to be saved. He didn't mention the other parts of the plan of salvation. However, that's not really the case. So let's stop and let's look at that really fast. In Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 29, we read, And the jailer called for lights. I guess I should give you some backstory on this one as well. They had been imprisoned for preaching the faith. They were beaten. They were, they were chained together in a jail cell. And Paul and Silas continued to praise and worship God. And at a certain time of the night, an earthquake came. It popped all the cell doors open. And when the guard came in, he said, oh, no. And he was getting ready to kill himself because in that time, if all, your, if all the prisoners escaped and you were in charge of the jail, somebody was going to kill you anyways. So he was going to take his own life to be more honorable. But Paul cries out, don't do it. We're all still here. And the man comes in. And, it's, and this is where we catch up. And in verse 29, it says, And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. If we stopped reading right there, and we never read another verse of the Bible, we'd be like, wow, so what do I need to do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. Seems like that's all we have to do. All we have to do is have faith. All we have to do is believe, and we're going to be saved. But that passage of Scripture doesn't stop there. It continues. It goes on to say more. And so as we read the next verse, it says, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. That's how it goes after that. Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Verse 33, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Well, what do we get from that message? What, what is it that we can gather from what's happening in that passage of Scripture. Obviously, the man had the faith to ask, what must I do to be saved? He's seeing some amazing things. Obviously, God's real. These people have such a faith in their God that they're going to praise even though we're in prison for it, which, come on, we can all be honest. We would struggle if we were in prison for the faith. We have a trial. We have a struggle. We begin to complain to God. We begin to ask so many silly questions and things like that, when in reality, God's with us no matter what. And that's what they realized. And that faith spoke volumes to that jailer. So obviously he had faith. And that's where it started. Paul started with faith. What must we do? What must I do to be saved? Well, the first thing you're going to have to do, friend, is have faith in God. But if you believe in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be saved. That's where Paul started. But it's clear that he emphasized the need for baptism since not only the jailer, but his entire family was baptized that very night. That tells me that after Paul taught faith, those words that he shared about Jesus involved the rest of the plan of salvation. It involved repentance. It involved baptism. Because how else would he get there? Why would that man be baptized if all he had to do was believe? Baptism is what we do in response to the faith that we have because God's word calls us to be baptized. It's the remission of the sins. That's what Peter said. We remember back to Acts 2.38, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's why it's such a crucial part. It's for the remission of our sins. It's not just getting wet. It's not just taking a bath, but it actually has an effect. That's what we need to understand. And it's clear that Paul made an emphasis, made a push for this man to be baptized because that man wouldn't have come up with baptism on his own. Where do we think the baptism came from? It's because Paul made sure the man know, knew of his need to be baptized. But before he could be baptized, he had to have faith. That's what we have to understand. Faith precedes baptism. Because baptism that precedes faith is a bath. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. But when you have faith that precedes baptism, then you're being baptized for the remission of your sins and obedience to the word of God because you trust God. And that's not the only time that Paul puts emphasis on such things. In Acts chapter 19, we read of an encounter that Paul had with a group of the disciples of John. He meets these people. It's clear that they're believers, that they, that they were followers of John the Baptist. And the first question, though, that Paul asks him is kind of a strange one. Because if these are the disciples of John, then we have to believe, well, John knew who Jesus was. They were cousins. John pointed to Jesus. The reason that some of the apostles followed Jesus was because of John the Baptist. All those things. Our thought would be that the the followers of John are saved. We wouldn't have a, a question for them. But Paul did have a question. And the first thing that he says is, do you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? Hmm. They hadn't. They said, we haven't even heard that there is such a Holy Ghost. And the next thing that Paul asks him is, well, how, how are you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized in John's baptism. And he says, no, 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 no. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Whoa, whoa, hold on. I thought that you, there's only one. There's, that wouldn't matter, right? I, I, whoa, no. Paul said that these things matter. These things that Peter said are important. It's clear that these disciples of John had faith. They were probably out still proclaiming the messages that John had taught them. It's clear that they were practicing repentance because John emphasized repentance. So they were halfway through the four parts of salvation. They had faith, they had repentance, but they were still missing baptism and they were missing the Holy Ghost. What many of you listening to this are probably still missing. And Paul said, these are important and you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Even though you've you've went down in water, you were baptized by John, we need to baptize you in Jesus' name. And not only that, you need the Holy Ghost. And you want to know how you know the faith that some people have? These people, these followers of John, these devout people who had followed John, who were still out teaching what John had taught them, didn't argue. They didn't say, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I, I have all that I need. I don't really understand what you're talking about, but, but I, I, me and God are good. We have our own relationship. And it's fine. No, they said, if that's what God says we're going to have to do, that's what we're going to do. And in Acts chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, we see it say, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. That's what faith looks like. Those people said, if that's what God says we must do, that's what we're going to do. And that's just what they did. They were baptized that very day in the name of Jesus Christ, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They followed the rest of the plan of salvation, and Paul emphasized those points of the plan of salvation. So how do we know that Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation? How do we know that this is what we ought to do? How do we know that this is what God would have us to do? Well, if Acts 2.38 wasn't important, then they wouldn't have continued to teach it. They wouldn't have continued to baptize people. They wouldn't have continued to make sure that people had the Holy Ghost. They wouldn't have pushed these things forward if they weren't important. Instead, they would have settled just for simple faith and inspiring that kind of faith everywhere they went. They would have just went around and said, believe, 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 and you'll be saved. And then they would have left. They wouldn't have done anything. They wouldn't have baptized people. They wouldn't have laid their hands on people so they would receive the Holy Ghost. They wouldn't have called for repentance. But that's not what they did. Everywhere they went, they made sure that people started with faith, that they repented of their sins, that they were baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins, and that they received the Holy Ghost. That's what the first church did everywhere they went. That's what the apostles did every single place they went. It starts with faith but that faith must be followed by action. Now, as, as important as seeing the apostles in the early church live out the plan of salvation, there's still some people that may struggle with that. And I've actually had people tell me specifically that they only believe what Jesus said. And I have qualms and things with that that we could get into in another episode of the podcast because I don't want to offend anybody. But in all the love that I can muster you have to realize that what these men were teaching, especially in terms of the plan of salvation, was what Jesus had taught during his ministry. He taught on every aspect that we just talked about on the plan of salvation. All four components, faith, baptism, or sorry, faith, repentance, baptism, 
and the Holy Ghost, Jesus talked about every single one of these while he was here. In John chapter 11, 25 through 27, we see him talk about faith. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in to the world. So in that verse, that verse, just one verse, we see Jesus say that people must believe on him in order to have eternal life. In order to be saved, we have to start with faith. And then we see Jesus teach on repentance. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he said, it says, from, the time, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus emphasized the need to repent. So we've already seen the first two. Jesus said, you must believe on me. And Jesus said that he's come to call people to repentance. He's, he made a cry saying, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus taught faith and repentance. And he also taught baptism. In John chapter 3, verse numbers 1 through 7, I'm not going to read this for time's sake, but that's the interaction that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And Jesus said that we must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus asked some questions about that. Some people think it was sincere. Some people think that it was insincere the way that he asked the questions. But either way, he asked questions that led Jesus to say that we must be born of the water and the spirit. Well, it sounds to me like the water is baptism and the spirit is the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We must be born of those things in order to be saved. And then also, that's not the only time Jesus talks about baptism. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but who does not believe will be condemned. Now that's an interesting verse because a lot of people try to twist that verse to say that we don't need to be baptized because it doesn't say those who, are, who do not believe and are not baptized will be condemned. It just says those who, are not, who do not believe. But it doesn't say those who believe will be saved either. At the beginning of the verse, it says those who believe and are baptized. Because they go together. And like I said earlier, if you are baptized but you don't believe, the baptism means nothing. And so if you don't believe, Jesus didn't need to mention baptism for those people. But if you do believe, Jesus made the point to mention baptism so that you would see your need to be baptized. Jesus emphasized baptism. What's interesting is the Bible does also tell us that while Jesus baptized no one, he did have his disciples baptize others, and people want to make all kinds of claims about that. But I'll tell you this. It makes sense to me that Jesus didn't baptize anybody because it would give people even more of an excuse today to say, well, if I couldn't be baptized by Jesus, then what's the point of being baptized by someone else? So Jesus never baptized anybody, but he also had to have been the one instructing his disciples to perform baptisms. And we also see Jesus point to the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I have said to you. So Jesus said Jesus was the one that told us that the Holy Spirit was coming. In fact, he was the one that told the disciples to wait in the upper room that day for the Holy Spirit to come. And these verses about the Holy Spirit I find are really interesting because it talks about how it's the spirit of truth and how, and Jesus even mentions how it's going to teach you all things. It says he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. What's interesting about that is that's exactly what happened to Peter. When Peter stood up, he was being led by the Holy Spirit. He was being taught by the Holy Spirit and having the things that Jesus, the ones that we had just went through, reminded and brought back to his memory. And that's why he was able to share those things that day on the day of Pentecost. Those are just a few verses of Scripture that show how Jesus taught every part of the plan of salvation throughout his ministry. And we know that it says in the Bible that all the words of Jesus could not, and all the works that he did, could not be contained. There would not be enough paper, enough books to hold all that Jesus did during his ministry. And so that's how we know where Peter got his message from. The Holy Spirit brought these things to his remembrance that taught him all things like the Bible promised. When he received the Holy Ghost, he received, for lack of a better term, 
enlightenment. God began to speak through him and to him and to remind him of the things that he had heard and seen. And that's how he was able to stand up and deliver that message on the day of Pentecost. That's how Peter knew what answer to give. That's why he didn't have to pause, hesitate, or ask others what they thought they should do. It's because he had already been taught by Jesus everything that he needed to know about the plan of salvation for the last three years. Jesus chose the apostles and walked with them for three years to prepare them for when he left. They were meant to carry forth the church, to plant the first church, to be a big part of the first church. That's what the apostles were meant for. That's what he taught them for. That's what he had spent all that time pouring into their lives for. So that way, when he ascended into heaven, they would be able to carry forth his ministry and be able to plant the church, to start the church, to carry us through the plan of salvation. Because that's the other thing we have to realize is the plan of salvation only became applicable once Jesus had been crucified, once he had been buried and had rose again from the grave. When the veil was torn and the Spirit of God was accessible to all men, that's when the new covenant began. A lot of times we get that confused is that the first four books of the New Testament technically should fall into the Old Testament because they're still Old Covenant books. The New Covenant doesn't start until after Jesus had rose from the dead. That's when the sacrifice had been made for our sins, and that's why it wasn't but shortly after that that the plan of salvation was delivered. Shortly after that, that God poured out his spirit upon man and made it possible that we might all have salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation. We don't have to argue it. We don't have to question it. We don't have to think anything about it. The Bible makes it clear that these things are true, that we must have faith, that we must repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost in order to be saved. We can see it clearly through Scripture. We don't need someone with a high education to explain to us why certain verses don't exist because the Bible ex- or don't apply because the Bible itself explains how these verses do apply. Jesus himself said to go forth into all nations, baptizing them. Baptism's important. We have to have faith. Repentance is important, and repentance is continued. (laughs) Just to throw that in there. And then just look at the promises of the Holy Ghost that Jesus mentioned. Again, a helper, a comforter, the spirit of truth, and the one that's going to teach us all things and bring to our remembrance the Scriptures. How important, how blessed are those things, and how thankful we ought to be that God gave us this plan of salvation. Now, I realize that there are a lot of ways that you could want to come against this message today, that there are a lot of things that you could be typing out right now in the comment sections that you're probably wanting to send me emails and say, well, what about this and what about that? And I really was hoping, this is this is one of the longest sets of notes for any podcast that I've ever written. And I was really hoping that I'd be able to get into those because the very next thing that I wanted to talk about was the real issue and how that and what that really is all about. The real issue as to why people don't want to follow, follow the plan of salvation. And I wanted to talk about the thief on the cross. And I wanted to talk about works-based salvation and how I don't believe in works-based salvation. And I don't believe that following the plan of salvation is works-based salvation. I have answers to those things, and I want to talk to you guys about them in the next episode of the podcast. But we're already getting close to the hour mark, and so I don't want to go for two hours or anything like that. So I'm going to split this up into two parts, and next week, come back, and you'll be able to hear my rebuttal to those common misconceptions and to those common arguments that people want to have over the plan of salvation. But I want to leave you with just go and read Acts this week. Read the book of Acts for yourself. Look at what the Bible actually says and actually teaches. I know that you may have heard this person say this or this person say that, but don't even take my word for this. We shouldn't take anybody's word for something as serious as the faith, but we should read the Bible for ourselves, see what God has said for himself, and make the effort to show ourselves approved. We should study the Bible. We should be thanking God that he gave us the word and that he made it so that men throughout history were inspired to bring us the word and language that we could understand. Praise God, we don't have to study Greek and Hebrew 
or Latin to be able to understand the Bible, but the common man can pick up the Bible, read it, and understand it for themselves. That's what God wants for you. That's why he gave us the Bible. And so I hope that you'll take the time not to just think of a million different arguments and reasons why you shouldn't follow the plan of salvation. Don't, don't, don't waste your time with those things. And I'm not trying to be rude or insensitive or trying to shut people down, but I am 100% sure in what I believe. I have no questions, no qualms, and no concerns. And I'll share more of that with you next week as to why I know this to be true and to why that those common ways that people try to argue against baptism or argue against the Holy Ghost simply aren't true. And we're going to get into those next week. But in the meantime, seriously take the time to read the book of Acts. See the day of Pentecost and how Peter delivered the plan of salvation and see how those very same things are carried throughout the early church. And then ask yourself, am I supposed to be practicing things that are different from what they did or should I not be doing the very same things that they did in order to be saved? I think the question, the answer to that question is very simple and it's one that we can all answer ourselves. I do hope that this podcast has blessed you in some way. I hope that you're able to see the plan of salvation in a new light. I hope that you're able to see that God does have a plan and a purpose for you, that there is more to following God and living for God than claiming to have faith, but living out your faith through obedience to God's word. I hope that you can see that from this episode. If you have questions or concerns, as long as it's not arguments, I'd love to go into these, these scriptures deeper with you. I'd love to hear from you. You can email us at moregodlessmepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to talk about the plan of salvation with you more. But know that if you want to argue, I'll just keep pointing you to next week's episode of the podcast because I've already written out the notes. I've already got it ready to talk about those things, and I'm already looking forward to it. I'm probably going to record it early just so that we have that opportunity to have this dialogue and be able to talk about these things because it is important. And I understand the questions that people had because I had those very same questions at one point. I, I made every excuse in the book, and we'll talk about that next week, but I understand where you're coming from. But at the end of the day, I'm so glad that I finally just submitted to the Word of God and that I put my faith into practice beyond simple words and into my action. Again, I hope this has been a blessing to you today. If you can help us out, we always appreciate it. If you like, comment, rate, subscribe, all those great things because it helps get in front of more people. If you know people who are struggling with the plan of salvation, who want to go deeper with God, but are confused about the word or confused about tradition and things like that, then please share this episode with them. Maybe we can help them to see what the plan of salvation is. If you've been wanting to share this truth with others but didn't know where to start, then maybe just start by sharing this podcast and answering any questions that they may have directly. But I just hope that you'll help us to grow this ministry and continue to reach more people with biblical sound truth, not simply based in tradition of men, but based in what the Bible itself has to say. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. I'll see you in the next video or podcast, and God bless. Oh, I got to get a thumbnail. I need a Bible.
one last thing. 